Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Hello, Dog Nation. I'm Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Kroger. We're live here in South Florida, media headquarters in Fort Lauderdale, where a couple of minutes ago we had a chance to hear from Georgia coach Kirby Smart, Florida State coach Mike Norvell, and their final joint press conference availability before the Orange Bowl game takes place tomorrow. We're going to recap a little bit of that, but also go back and look at some of the highlights from yesterday with Georgia quarterback Carson Beck and how much fun is it to be able to say that Beck returning here for Georgia in 2024 and obviously Georgia offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Very interesting things from both those guys. We'll give some of that to you coming up here in just a moment, but also a pretty compelling a couple of minutes uh, ago when you had both Norvell and Kirby Smart speaking from both of their unique perspectives about this game coming up on Saturday. On the Mike Norvell side of this, there's obviously a lot of weirdness around the Florida State program. We've talked plenty about that. The lawsuit against the ACC, the power play to get out of that league, and the continued frustration about missing out on the college football playoff, whether you know I believe it's understandable or not. Obviously, I think excluding Florida State from this playoff was the right decision for the committee. Now, I think the Georgia should have been in, so that kind of puts me at odds with others. But excluding Florida State, I think, was probably the right thing to do. But Norvell is obviously coming from a different place because it's his team, and he thinks they should have been a part of the playoff as a 13-0 ACC champ. And one of the things I do respect about Norvell is it's always really difficult to know how to talk about things like this. And I think that Norvell has taken a pretty interesting tack from the standpoint he's chosen to be, I think, really very honest and even today acknowledging the fact that there is a lot of anger and there's also the acknowledgement that there are things you can't control and ultimately the decision of the college football playoff select committee is one of those things that cannot be controlled but but he's also more than happy to let you know that he are the players in his team they are devastated and perhaps they may never completely get over what they feel like the committee did to them and to some people that may come across as like whining or that may come across as like crying over spilled milk or whatever phrase you want to use. But I think it's sort of refreshingly honest because it's obviously the elephant in the room. It's the dark cloud that hangs over the Florida State program. And so I think once again today we had an example of Mike Norvell being willing to be very honest about that situation. Uh, you can go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and see that press conference in its entirety, what Mike Norvell had to say. As far as the Kirby Smart part of this, perhaps some of the most interesting stuff from Smart comes from the confirmation that many of you have already seen on social media anyway, that Georgia offensive tackle Omarius Mims is in Miami. Smart letting it be known that he arrived yesterday. Didn't really give you any kind of further indication about whether or not Mims is going to play in this game or not. I think the Smart money probably suggests that Mims won't play, but he is with the team. I think the expectation is the same thing for uh, Brock Bowers there as well. And uh, once again, given a chance to kind of confirm or deny Bowers' status for this game, you know, once again, that's something that Kirby Smart chose not to do. But the expectation here is confirmation that both Amarius Mims and Brock Bowers will be with the team, and then we'll find out after that if they are uh, able to play here. Uh, some of the same kind of chatter as it you know relates to other injured guys in this game. Kirby Smart acknowledging that George is obviously dealing with its share of injuries here, and that's one of the things that uh, got discussed. I think we'll have a chance to see some of Georgia practice a little bit later on this afternoon. We'll see what 
you know, the presence looks like there, if to the extent we're able to tell about, you know, who perhaps is and isn't, you know, looking like they're going to be able to play there on Saturday. In addition to that, a couple of other topics. I had a chance to ask Kirby Smart directly during this press conference a moment ago. You know, I think one of the things that does make this Orange Bowl fun is the matchup between Georgia and Florida State. We haven't seen a lot of these battles throughout the years. You've got the Sugar Bowl in 2002. You've got, what, the Citrus Bowl in 1984. There's a small handful of games that Georgia and Florida State have played against each other. But obviously, for a long time, these two programs have battled in recruiting. Uh, if you're down there, Kirby Smart's neck of the woods in Bainbridge, Georgia, you know how many Florida State fans live just north of Tallahassee there, how many Georgia fans live in an area in South Georgia that's kind of dominated by the dogs. So Georgia and Florida State are kind of regional rivals because they're competing for a lot of the same players and the fan bases intermingle with each other, even if the two teams haven't historically played a lot. And I think that could be one of the fun things about the expanded universe of college football we're about to experience, where there's going to be a 12-team playoff. Georgia and Florida State even have some home-and-home matchups scheduled against each other coming up in future years. You know, the notion that this game on Saturday, while it seems somewhat meaningless as a conclusion of the 2023 season, could be a springboard to a lot of future battles between the two teams. And Kirby Smart acknowledged that a little earlier. I thought that was uh, certainly a very interesting thing to say. Uh, and you can go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and you can see that for yourself there. Uh, Kirby Smart also talking a little bit about how a bowl win, if Georgia's able to get one, could kind of propel some momentum in the upcoming season. Smart was not quite as you know willing to acknowledge that, saying that basically he thinks that the actual value of the bowl game going into the future year has been diminished, he said, because of the way in which the recruiting calendar is different now. You don't have signing day, the main emphasis being in February anymore. And so he said that in some of the momentum of a bowl win, perhaps there was maybe more of an effect of that in previous years. So kind of some interesting stuff there from Kirby Smart. And once again, you can go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and see the entirety of that press conference, the joint press conference with both Norvell and Kirby on the podium at the same time. Our Dog Nation YouTube page will have that for you. Uh, but also, as we mentioned, some really compelling stuff yesterday when a lot of the Georgia offensive key figures, Mike Bobo, running backs coach Dell McGee, uh, Carson Beck, Cedric Von Prong Granger, Lad McConkey, good number of Georgia offensive players, Kendall Milton, of course, uh, Marcus Roseby Jackson. They had their turn to uh, meet with the media. And I think the two of the most interesting figures in a conversation like that, obviously, Georgia quarterback Carson Beck and Georgia offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. I want to start with Beck here for a moment because obviously the thing that I think has breathed a little bit of new life into this Orange Bowl for Saturday is the fact that Georgia came to this game already knowing that Carson Beck would return for 2024 and was very eager to play in this Orange Bowl game. I think that's the kind of thing that I think got Georgia fans perhaps more excited about this game. We talked about that a little earlier this week, that it was probably a nice boost of energy for an Orange Bowl game, which, if we're being honest, could probably use a little bit of that. Beck's return certainly gives that. And I want to play you a couple of minutes here, a little bit longer clip than we normally play, but on video I think it works a little bit better, uh, a little longer you know, back talking about that decision to return to Georgia, what went into that. And I think one of the things, if you're a Georgia fan, you're going to really like about what Carson Beck had to say yesterday was the notion that, you know, the phrase that gets used sometimes is unfinished business, the idea that Georgia's end-of-season goals weren't accomplished this year, and the notion that you can come back for one more year with a chance to to get that done. Beck did not shy away from talking about that yesterday. You know, yeah, by the way, all of those, you know, wild speculative rumors about these exorbitant NIL, you know, dollars that, you know, Beck supposedly wanted. Beck also addressed some of that yesterday, too. So let me give you a chance to see this. 
this. If you're a Georgia fan, you'll love it. As Carson Beck gets pretty personal about what it was that drove him to want to come back to Georgia here for this particular season. It's candid. It's enjoyable. It's Carson Beck from yesterday. Take a look at that right now. The biggest thing for me was um, obviously coming back, uh, playing with the guys, uh, obviously the camaraderie that we have in the locker room. I mean, that's a huge part, and it's hard to, like, just leave that, you know. Um, I feel like the chemistry that we have, the standard that we've set, um, a lot of those things really led me to coming back and, you know, wanting to do this again, you know, with these players around me. Is there an unfinished business notion of of wanting to come back and and get to the playoff win a national championship next year? Did that factor into the decision? I mean, that's I feel like that's always part of it. Um, I feel like if we hadn't have lost that game, maybe things would be different, but... um, (laughs) Obviously, that's the way that things panned out, and mentally, that definitely had a, um, an effect on my decision. I guess, I guess, when did you know, like, who did you really talk to in the days and weeks following the ACC championship? Yeah, really I mean, obviously, uh, there's a lot of conversations, like, with my family and coaches and things of that sort, and then obviously people that I trust and confide in with, you know, made a huge decision like that. Um, but I think I knew truly, like, a few days after the game, like in my heart, like I knew exactly what I wanted to do and what I was going to do. I just had to talk to people and like make sure that everyone was kind of in agreement with what exactly I wanted to do. What about the idea that you waited three years to start and go to the NFL? Yeah, that was that, that was definitely part of it too. Um, I mean, I did. I waited three years, didn't play, and then obviously I've gotten the opportunity to play this season, and it's fun. <laughs> it's a lot more fun to be on the field than not be on the field. So, um, knowing that I get another opportunity, a chance to come back and play another year at the University of Georgia, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun and enjoyable. What about a lot of stuff going around NIL? What can you say about that? What discussions? How did that figure? Yeah, so I mean, there's a bunch of stuff out there, and I'm sitting there, and we haven't even talked about anything as far as, I mean, I don't even know when all that came out. I guess like a month before the SEC Championship game is when I started seeing stuff and rumors about what I was asking for and saying and whatnot. Um, I had never even had a conversation about whether or not I was coming back, a decision. Um, Obviously, being the quarterback at the University of Georgia, you know, there's going to be NIL opportunities. but that was never a main factor in my decision on coming back. So I think those are really strong words from Carson Beck. And as I mentioned before, if you're a Georgia fan, I think you've got to love the idea that Beck sees you know, an opportunity for Georgia to come back in 2024 and build off of what happened this year and perhaps have a little bit of a bad taste in the mouth about the fact that you know, they didn't quite finish it off on a national championship way this year. And they, you know, perhaps with a returning quarterback of Beck's caliber could do that again uh, next year. Once again, to go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and to watch the entirety of that press conference, you know, Carson talked a lot about, you know, having waited his turn to play and the fact that finally being a starting quarterback at Georgia is having a good time. And he's clearly growing to that role. He's obviously playing at an incredibly high level. And, you know, I, I do think the sky is the limit for what he could be able to accomplish next season. I think that's uh, really, really strong there from Carson. It's also interesting to hear him talk about the NIL part of this. Obviously, as he acknowledges being a quarterback at a place like Georgia, there are clearly going to be some opportunities. And in Carson's case, some of the traditional opportunities, we've already seen you know, some 
uh, I know at least in one case, like what one of the credit unions has signed him to an NIL deal, and he's you know kind of making that money in a, a traditional way, much the same way that we've kind of seen Brock Bowers able to do over the course of the last couple of years. So once again, some acknowledgments there from Carson back there on that. Also, though, when it comes to the game that prevented Georgia with back at the helm this year to getting to where it wanted to be, we also heard from Mike Bobo on that particular topic yesterday in terms of, you know, why that game didn't quite go the way that, you know, Georgia fans wanted to go. The fact that Georgia, after being as explosive and dominant offensively as they've been all year long, probably the best offense of this sort of national championship era for Georgia, probably the best single season offense may have been that offense in 2023. But we didn't see that as much in that SEC championship game against Alabama. Georgia was held well below 30 points. And ultimately, it was the inability to kind of uh, score points and, and, and keep pace that probably cost Georgia in kind of a razor-thin, narrow, tightly contested game against Alabama. So Carson Beck says he's coming back with unfinished business on his mind. And as far as the game that led to that unfinished business, yesterday, Georgia offensive coordinator Mike Bobo talked about, from his perspective, why it was that Georgia wasn't able to get it done. This is what Bobo had to say about that. You know, we've been good on third down all year. And, I, and ironically, I think, you know, that game, you know, we had some third and shorts that we didn't convert in the game. And ultimately, we didn't be able to continue drives and allow us to have more plays. But... You know, selling for three field goals in the red zone and turning the ball up and not being able to be explosive. I felt like we could, could get in a rhythm for whatever reason uh, after the first drive. And, you know, boy, you got to give those guys a lot of credit. They're a good defensive football team. Uh, but, you know, that happens. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we didn't play our best. They played better than us. And that happens in football. The short yardage, is that something surprise you considering the guys you got up front? Uh, I mean, some, I mean, some, you, it's hard to get. You watch Coach Smart shows every week. He shows third and fourth, fourth and ones around this uh, in our league, uh, and uh, sometimes in the NFL. And how hard it is to get a yard sometimes. I think sometimes people think, hey, it's third and one, you automatically get it. And we've been very, very good at it all year. Uh, but, but sometimes it, things don't go as planned, and they didn't go as planned as planned in that game. Kirby, a couple weeks ago, talked about how the leadership on this team has been so good to make sure everyone is motivated going into this game, even if it's not the playoff. What have you seen in that regard? Well, I, I, I mean, first of all, Coach Mark is, is our leader, and he sets a, a standard of, of us playing for the University of Georgia and representing the University of Georgia. And, and these kids have, have, have bought into that, and they believe that. Uh, there's a great connection. Uh, with our team, they love each other, and the leaders want to go out and they want to play well uh, for the University of Georgia. The seniors want to go out the right way, have a chance to win 50 games, uh, and, and, it's, and you know, kids that love football, you get a chance to put the ball down and play another game against a, a great opponent like Florida State. Our kids are excited about that. So once again, I enjoyed hearing that from Mike Bobo yesterday, and if you go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can see that conversation in its entirety. And when you kind of look at the Beck stuff in concert with the Bobo stuff, I think what you really see is a pretty wide-ranging viewpoint on kind of where Georgia was offensively this season, where it needs to go next year. And obviously there'll be plenty of time to talk about that in the weeks and months to come. This is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Kroger, live in Miami today. And, of course, we appreciate our friends at Kroger making it all possible. And don't forget, Kroger's got you covered for Kroger Chef Jr. coming up here as we begin 2024. You can check out this guided kids cooking experience a couple times the month of January, January 6th and 20th at select Kroger locations. This month, making chicken salad. We'd love to have you be a part of that. It's a 30-minute class where your child receives an apron, patch, chef's hat, and spatula, plus a recipe card and box holder 
for just $7 per child. So you can check out more information online at KrogerChefJr.com. That's the word Junior spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJr.com. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger, we'll get ready to say hello to Jeff Sindel. It's been a few weeks since we've talked to Jeff here on the show, and we do so today from sunny South Florida. Jeff, there's a lot I want to get into with you as it relates to the recruiting class in particular. But how about a little bit of a recap from just kind of what you've seen from what you've since you've been here so far, the stuff with Back and Bobo, we played some of that uh, a couple of minutes ago, obviously getting a chance to hear from Kirby Smart and Mike Norvell a few minutes ago, and then coaches and players throughout the week. What's been your kind of overall take on the vibe around Georgia as it gets ready to play a fairly odd football game on Saturday? I think fairly odd is a good way to put it. Um, you know, I, I think we're seeing an evolution of Carson Back, right? And he somehow became like a, I hope you'll enjoy this reference, like an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure. He's the guy that's zen. He's the guy that's, I'm the film guy, chill, you know, masters, you know, uh, trying to master his position, the experienced guy. He's going to bring a lot of stability to the offense next year. I guess in totality, I just want, this is definitely not the same experience that we've been used to for the last two years with the bowls. It feels like if everything was on 10 on 10 on blast the last couple of Decembers and Januarys, this probably feels like a four. Um, and I guess that maybe there's a, there's a point there to not take those trips for granted. There's also a point there that this just feels decidedly more like a lot more chill. The thing that's going through my mind, honestly, Brandon, is this whole week I'm thinking about how next year's playoffs will be different. Like what will it be like next year with first round games, second round games and buys? Those are the things that are coming to my mind right now. And like how college football is going to work next year. We were in a conversation last night at dinner. Looking at like, what if this year's results applied to next year's playoff bracket? Georgia might have a first round game at home. Georgia might get a, a 12 seed as the five seed in the second round. And somehow Georgia's path to the playoffs looks pretty easy compared to what we see right now. It's our, uh, Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily today. I want to move into around the doghouse sport today by the finish long drink. And we got the pool right over here. It'd be a great day for a little finish long drink right here at our hotel pool in Fort Lauderdale. We're broadcasting from and. You know, I, I do think that I'm a little bit like you on this. And when you're here and you kind of see what could have been, I mean, this could have been Georgia and Florida State playing in, like, say, New Orleans, the Sugar Bowl. And obviously the feeling around that game is completely different. And, and listen, both these teams are going to say the right things about their respect for the Orange Bowl. Historically, that's been a very big game. But it does sort of feel like we are in, like, sort of the last vestiges of a very old era. And next year there's something brand new. I think it has a chance to be better. I think an expanded playoff is probably better for college football. I like the idea of taking power away from the committee, more teams in the playoff. You know, certainly gives you a, a chance to do that. But I also like the idea of these two storied, proud programs like Georgia and Florida State. You know, I don't think these two teams should be playing in a game that feels like this. I mean, Georgia's a 20-point favorite in the Orange Bowl. Now, do they win that easily? You know, is, is Georgia perhaps a little less full strength than people suspect? There's a chance that might be true. But, but you know, this is truly right now, unfortunately, kind of a glorified exhibition. And that's not what a Georgia-Florida State battle ought to be. I mean, it kind of feels like a 2024 sneak preview a little bit with everybody churning through the portal. You know, they do the, you do the math, 85 scholarships, 20, 18 guys in the portal. you got guys with lingering injuries. You're down to like 60. You can't really play the mid-years. You can't play the mid-years yet. So it's a little bit about who is that second-teamer or third-teamer that becomes the second-teamer. How much will Georgia, could Georgia see of Gunnar Stockton if the game is out of hand? I think the other thing is a little bit of recency bias, Brandon. I know you like that term, but 
take out the 2021 postseason, and it would have been a treat to come to the Orange Bowl. I mean, Georgia does not come to the Orange Bowl. You have to go back a lot of ways to get Orange Bowl appearances. But then it's just fresh in our minds. Like, I see walking the corners of this media hotel, and I remember, oh, that place was, that spot here was dialed up. There was Georgia and Michigan on the elevators. They don't have Georgia and Michigan on the elevators anymore. Just little things that make you know, oh, this is a little bit different than last time. It's around the doghouse presented by the uh, finished long drink. As I said before, uh, it'd be a great day for us to be enjoying some finished long drink as you're getting ready to go into your holiday season. You've got New Year's Eve parties, things like that. The finished long drink goes great with all of that, whether it's sunny like it is here in South Florida or perhaps a little colder up there in the state of Georgia. Either way, the peach-flavored version of the finished long drink for a limited time here in the peach state. That's an awesome choice. Or if you go to thelongring.com, you can put in your zip code and you can figure out where you can pick up all the varieties. The traditional, the blue can, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, the long drink cranberry, which a lot of folks in my neighborhood have loved for a long time. Long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink zero after Christmas. A lot of, a lot of Christmas cookies here in the old uh, gut over the course of the last couple of weeks. Uh, going zero carb, zero sugar, probably a pretty good way to go there on that too. You can find out everything you need to do uh, and need to know at the longdrink.com. We appreciate the long drink, the finished long drink pouring around the doghouse for us here today. All right, here on Dog Nature Daily, presented by Kroger, let's also kind of dive back into the topic at hand as it relates to UGA recruiting. And an interesting story at dognation.com this week, Jeff, looking at the large number of Georgia players who've already gotten the chance to go through practice and now because of the contemporary era in which we live in, also getting to travel with Georgia and be a part of some of this down here in South Florida, not playing in the game. I'm not even sure if they're even dressing out, but they are practicing here right now, and we've seen some uh, images and some footage there from that. So give us a little bit of a snapshot of the Georgia newcomers who've kind of already shaken off the, the uh, I guess, the attention of being a recruit. Now they're just college football players like anybody else going through this grind. What can you tell us about kind of who is doing that and kind of how that's gone here thus far? It's different, Brandon. I mean, uh, to answer your your point, they can wear the jersey. I think they'll be they'll be wearing their jersey or what they perceive to be their future Georgia number on the sidelines uh, for the Orange Bowl. Like they're going to get those practice reps. You know, how Kirby Smart uh, lathers over the fact that he can get as many reps for his players as possible, especially young players. Um, there's 15. There's actually 14 high school enrollees, and there's also London Humphreys. Uh, you're seeing some clips, man. I don't know if you saw the social media clip of Sakobi White working against Malachi Starks. Caught a ball on Malachi, and you're like, "Oh wow, this kid was at Cass High School. Yeah, he was being he was being talked up by Brandon Adams on Friday nights, and there he is catching a catching a uh, making a first down against Malachi, the marvelous Malachi Starks. He, he, I think everybody, Brandon, was taken aback by Jaden Riddell. He looked like a a, a Viking, um, and everybody. One of the questions I got because so many people reached out to me after they saw that photo, and they're like, "Who in the blue blazes is this?" And I was like, "Well, that's Jaden." And they're like, is he 6'5", 260? I'm like, no, he's just about 6'4". Never really been measured higher than 6'4", about 235. But he's got Brock Bowers wheels. That's about as far as I'll go with any Brock Bowers comparison for any type of Georgia football player. You've got so many names, so many faces. Um, and the, the weird thing about this, Brandon, is these guys are going to, like there's five guys here that are going through Orange Bowl practices. And then they will trot over, they will trot up to Orlando, one of your favorite places, and they will go through the Under Armour All-American game. And think about that, Brandon. It's like they've been practicing with yeah. All-Americans, All-SEC players, guys going to the draft. And then they go play with high school kids one more time before they all report to Athens in January. I think the big thing is Georgia has 28 signees right now. 22 of them, Brandon. 22 of them will be 
in class in Athens in January, and that's a huge number. It's one of those things where I think we're kind of in some respects kind of in the post era for a lot of like recruiting dramatics. Now Georgia had some signing day theatrics. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But you know, for people who like you know don't like the signing day drama, they don't like the hat shows, the thing like that. They want to be more about football. Last couple of years, the recruiting process I think has really geared more towards football because you do have these guys kind of rushing through that late stage of their recruiting process, and it's more about getting on campus, starting to go through the paces, starting to go through the work. In the case of some of the really big offensive linemen, Kirby Smart's talked about the desire to see those guys kind of slim down a little bit. Like the work of getting these guys ready to play football has already started, whereas just a few years ago, it wouldn't even be signing day yet. You don't go back 2017, we wouldn't even be to signing day yet. And now, you know, not only these guys have signed, they're essentially just guys on campus going through the same daily grind the rest of the players are. You know, uh, sometimes, Brandon, you're out here doing these shows in this beautiful scenery, and I think of you as a weatherman sometimes. Well, I think of the new models, the weather models that are showing up for recruiting. And for me, it's like, listen, you can see the handwriting on the wall. These coaches want to have everything done in the summer, by and large, maybe two or three mega prospects that they chase later on. And it becomes later in the season about portal shopping and filling needs. And, you know, one of the things Kirby Smart said today was talking about, like, what he expects things to look like with the portal era going forward. And, you know, one of the comments that this is a story right now on dognation.com is, you know, tough times ahead. But I don't know if it's tough, but it's a lot different. And, you know, people are talking about, hey, let's move the early signing day all the way up to like August the 1st. I think that creates a lot of problems, Brandon. Like what happens with, you know, coordinators, position coaches, head coaches? You know, are you going to give them an out clause and they can do it all over again when they're not visiting anywhere? Yeah, like if I had my way, we just go back to doing it one day in February. <laughs> like to me, who says no to that? I mean, but then you've got, you know, these kids are graduating early. They want to start early. Like you, speaking of you as a fan, I know, Brandon, that if this guy can help Georgia right away and he comes in in January rather than May. Yeah, fair enough. That's fair. Fair know, point. Fair point. Especially if this fair is a, like a wide receiver Georgia really, really needs. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of getting them acclimated, getting ready to play. One of the things I've always heard is like when a young man is through with his football season, you can get in a lot of trouble in that spring area. And that's, that, that's one of the reasons why the early signing period makes so much sense. But it's just right now with the portal and what's going on, like, I don't know if I'd like, I don't know if I've shared this with you, Brandon. I don't know if I like the fact that Georgia th- signs three high school running backs. And then after they sign, Georgia's announcing a portal signee and Travis and Trevor Etienne, who's likely going to start and catch a lot of carries. I don't know if that feels right. I don't know if that's the best thing for both parties there. I think Georgia was above board. I think all those players did know that Etienne was on the way. And that's a credit to Del McGee for doing so. But like, there's a lot of cases where, you come into a situation, and a lot of these kids are thinking is one year, two year, whereas the staff thinks three year, four year down the road because they don't expect these freshmen to play. Yet. Let me go back to some more of those guys that have been kind of going through this and been here. When you look at some of the early enrollees, some of those that are in South Florida here right now, you know, what's your short list of guys who could make an immediate impact in 2024? Because ultimately, you see this whether it be like the AJ Harris's, you know, guys who leave, you sort of feel like you never really got to know them. That kind of means there's an extra emphasis now, I believe, on the players who can play right away. And if you're a player that's not quite ready to play right away, then I don't know how much ink or, you know, bandwidth we ought to, you know, devote to a player like that necessarily. So when you look at the 2024 signees, when you look at guys who have traveled, you know, from that group with this team down here to South Florida, who are your immediate impact names for Georgia here right now? So I look at guys, and this is a larger pool. I look at guys that could be second teamers, 
And that's what you want with this program at a national championship level. You don't expect freshmen to come in and start. And there's a lot of guys that I think can challenge for second-team reps. I think Joseph Jonah Ajanye is very interesting. Not only is that a defensive lineman where Georgia needs a lot more of them, but I'm sure you have your ear to the ground, Brandon. You've heard about Michael Williams moving to outside linebacker. And then that creates maybe Tyrion Ingram Dawkins and Joseph Jonah Ajanye at that defensive end spot. It allows Georgia to get more of their best players on the field. I think a guy like London Humphreys is probably going to challenge for second-team reps right off the rip, maybe even first-team reps, depending on what Ladd McConkie does. Uh, that's a guy there. But, you know, th- then you go another tier. I think Jaden Riddell, everybody's been impressed with Jaden Riddell. I don't know if any of the offensive linemen will be ready. Not only do they have to lose 30 pounds, they got to get used to trying to block 22- and 21-year-olds. Um, the name that, that I just have to share is I really think Ellis Robinson's special. Ellis Robinson the fourth, and one of the things I'm very cautious in my reporting where I'm not going to ever put a guy out on front street and say that guy should play, that guy should start. But I feel like Ellis has all the potential to, not only because he's been at IMG Academy and he's gone against the best receivers and the best teams in the country for two years now. It's that lifestyle where you already feels like you're in college, time management, workouts, team meetings. Um, I think Ellis is ready to play in the SEC or he will be by the time the fall, by the summer and fall rolls around. He's just got great skill, Brandon. He's got great length too. Length, skill, tenacity, polish. The things I've heard about Ellis. Very good authority here is he's the most skilled cornerback Georgia has brought in in Kirby's time. He's also the highest rated cornerback Georgia has brought in. I feel like he's the centerpiece of the class. He's the highest rated guy in the class. He's an early enrollee, and you know Kirby and Will and the new defensive backs coach, Coach Williams, are going to be really focused on getting him ready to play. Now, our next year's corners coming out is that Dalen Everett and Julian Humphrey or Daniel Harris, maybe, maybe so, depending on what Kamari Lasseter does with finality, but by the way, nice to hear Kirby Smart confirm today essentially that Daniel Harris, which has been mostly assumed, but that Daniel Harris is, after some rumblings and some grumblings, has decided that George is the best place for him. Isn't it funny how Kirby said, you know, just because you announce on social media that you're in the transfer portal doesn't mean you're actually yeah, in the It's not portal. like the Michael Scott thing of, I declare bankruptcy. Like, like, you have to do more than just declare your intention to go to the portal. Yeah, I mean, he's huge, man. It's one of those things where you notice him getting a lot of attention Hearing about him getting a lot of attention, even from Fran Brown late in the year. He's got speed. He's got length. And, you know, Daniel still has a chance to be a very great Georgia Bulldog. But I know a lot of folks saw that story, and they're like, okay, this was the guy that decommitted and then committed back. And now this is the guy after one year, he's hopping in the portal, and now he's coming back. I mean, Daniel, I promise you guys, Daniel Harris has caused a lot of consternation for Dog Nation right now, but you get that dude on the field and get him getting reps, and he's going to make plays. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. could be a big part of this story for next year, and obviously a lot of folks are very curious about, you know, what happens next with, like, say, Julian Humphrey, who when he was playing this year, I think people really like what he brought to the table. You know, clearly a guy like Dalen Everett's been a guy that's been the crosshairs with some fans here a little bit. We'll see what can change about that moving into 2024, but that defensive secondary going to be a very important position, and Ellis Robinson could perhaps, especially as he kind of adds weight to go along with that long frame, uh, could be a very big part of that discussion. Is it safe to say, and I'll let you make the case you want to make, uh, actually say what you want to say, then I'm going to ask you a question. So a couple of names I forgot to mention. I need I need to make sure we do our diligence here and mention a couple of names. But I think it was huge that they kept Nitro Tuggle in this class. I think it's huge that he was um, an early enrollee. He was down in Georgia for bowl practices, and he's here in He's here in Miami now. Simply put, you and got you and I have talked ad nauseum about how Georgia's class this year had to get deadlier on the offensive side of the ball. They stacked up the dudes on the defensive side. You know, the quarterback, one of the quarterbacks goes to Nebraska. That's fine. 
but they needed Nitro as one of those big-time playmakers. I know you have a fondness in your heart for those special wideouts, and you got a guy like Nitro. I'm not telling you Nitro is going to be ready, but maybe in about a year when he gets a little bit more polished to his game, gets a little bit more strength, a little bit more poundage, gets the body built up right. He's a 6-2 playmaker that Georgia is not used to having in a frame like that. And when Georgia, they only end up with two high school receivers, uh, Sokovia White's going to be an excellent player for Georgia. Just you wait on that. The other guy that really intrigues me, Brandon, is Chris Cole. He's a guy that put on 40 pounds, goes to safety to linebacker in his senior season. Brandon, we've never talked about a kid that ran in the Nike Nationals in the hurdles. He finished like sixth in the Nike Nationals. That's a huge indoor event. Do you know how hard it is to add 40 pounds of good weight? Do you know how hard that is? And, and look, he's explosive, and he still retains all those safety skills. One of the things Kirby Smart, and you know, I don't think this was purely recruiting here, but he told Chris, he's like, man, we got dudes at linebacker. We got a lot of great linebackers, but we don't have one quite like you. We can do all this thing, all these things. And the contrarians might point out, well, coverage, I pass rush, I get all that. Maybe Troy Bowles can do that, but Troy Bowles is not six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds either. That's the thing that stands out about Cole. And you got so many. We've you've got that type of player. Justin Williams, the number one linebacker in the country, he somehow Brandon was moving so fast the other day that he didn't get in that photo. He stands to be the highest rated. Uh, he is the highest rated linebacker Georgia has ever signed under Kirby Smart. Just a lot of guys. The thing is, this class. The main thing when anyone talks around a tailgate talks about next year's crop of players. This is such a line of scrimmage program. One of the things I've written about a lot, what I noticed about this year's class, Georgia went double hard in the paint for offensive and defensive linemen. They signed 12 guys. They got another defensive lineman out of the portal in Xavier McLeod. You look at other programs around the country that recruit really well, Alabama, Ohio State. Those schools are only adding like seven or eight high school kids for the lines of scrimmage in their program. And that clearly says something to me when the best program in the country knows they got to get big men. Well, speaking of lines of scrimmage and big men there, is it safe to say of all the early enrollees who are here in South Florida that nobody looks better in street clothes, kind of, you know, getting off the bus, so to speak, than Joseph Jonah Johnye? Like, where would you kind of put, you know, kind of his, you know, kind of arrival day physique in comparison to some of the guys that George has brought in recently? I mean, there's a lot of stuff about the JJA story. Number one, he just turned 17. Remarkable, Brandon. Six foot five, 270. I've already heard glowing reports about how he's worked so far. And this guy came from Nigeria and he was one of only, he's now three like native Nigerians on the roster. It's kind of crazy how that Nigerian flag is going to be draped around some shoulders at Dooley Field in the years to come. But he's got another body change element where he also put on 30, 40 pounds of weight, good weight, and went from a 245 pound defensive end now to a 275 pound guy. And he's a guy that's only been playing football for like three or four years, Brandon. Very new to the game, very raw. But I'm going to tell you, he loves Georgia already about as much as everybody watching this program does right now. I want to get to some of the signing day drama of K.J. Bolden here in a moment because you and I haven't talked about that. But let me ask you one more about Joseph Jonah Johnye. And this is one of those things where it's just a natural thing, right? It's like we know it's real, but it's sort of hard to prevent it. He's been committed for such a long time that he almost becomes a little bit out of sight, out of mind, whereas if he had made a signing day decision, it would have been a very big deal for Georgia. So I think right now, fairly, people are asking where the elite defensive linemen are going to come from for Georgia if Georgia's not playing the NIL game at the same level some other programs are when it comes to that particular position, which may or may not be a fair conversation, but it's a discussion that's taking place nonetheless. 
My question for you, though, is when you think about guys that Georgia didn't get, such as, like, say, LJ McRae or a Justin Scott or somebody like that, how would you compare the talent, sort of the ready-made playmaking abilities of a guy like Joseph Jonah Janye to defensive linemen perhaps late in the process, especially McRae, that we just talked about more frequently because they were still on the open market? Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm t- I try not to make statements and make people – spit out their cornflakes or oatmeal in the morning here. But, like, he's a Trayvon Walker-type talent. He's uh, he's 6'5", he's 270. He's immensely strong. And what he did from junior year to senior year on his film, you saw violent hands. You saw learning a little bit, putting A and B together, converting speed to power. He made a huge leap in his senior year. Absolutely loves Trey Scott. Absolutely loves being a Georgia Bulldog this week. He's probably one of the happiest recruits you'll ever find as he immerses himself into the Georgia culture. And I think Georgia's found a player. Justin Scott, I think he's probably close to topped out. You look at uh, LJ McCray, he kind of looked around everywhere. He's a big-time talent. But you've got a player in Joseph Jonah Ajanye that you see significant clicks in his game where Georgia can make him better. And he's just a big, agile human being. The other thing is the why is very strong. The want to was very strong. He told me a story, Brandon, about meeting Jordan Davis, talking to Jordan Davis. And he has been gifted. He used the term gifted, the opportunity to wear the 99 jersey. That's great. First of all, they don't give that guy, they don't give that sucker out to somebody that, that whose heart pumps Kool-Aid or something like that. You got to be a dog. You got to be able to play. And like this, listening to Joseph Jonah Ajanye talk about meeting Jordan Davis. Getting his hat signed. I mean, it sounds like one of your, everyone's kids yeah. meeting a bulldog, and now he's going to be a bulldog like that. No, that's great. All right, the time we have left, let's talk about National Signing Day and the exciting news that happened is K.J. Bolden flipped uh, to UGA, really from Florida State, but by the end it seems like it was more of a Georgia-Auburn battle than it was a uh, Florida State battle. I know a lot of our audience had time to process this, but you and I haven't had a chance to talk about this. I, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, Obviously, hearing from KJ that day had some very interesting things to say. How much did some of the stuff that's been talked about here this week, Florida State's uncertain status in the ACC and kind of what's next for a program that was told by the playoff selection committee they weren't you know, quite at the same level as some of these other programs, how much of that do you think factored into KJ's decision to ultimately choose between Georgia and Auburn and kind of exclude the Seminoles from that final discussion? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Brandon, first of all, I've been at a lot of those ceremonies. You know, I have. We've covered a lot of them together via, via through the magic of teleconferencing or whatever. And it was so different. There was no hat to put on. There was a PowerPoint slide that popped up. It was one of the least climactic, like more more anticlimactic things I've ever seen. And the funny thing is, you heard a gush in the in the auditorium because people were like, "What's he going to do? What's he got?" And literally, they just flashed the slide in the top right corner. It said University of Georgia, and it took people about one, two, three clicks to go. One Mississippi team. Oh, Georgia, he's going to be a dog. And I, I'm going to tell you, Florida State fans, big mad about that decision, especially when he told us afterward that he knew his decision three weeks prior to naming it. Um, we're actually going to have a story. I know I promised it to you guys on Hedges, but I'll, I'll file it today from Florida where, Brandon, I put a, I put a silver stake through the Buford curse. Because yeah. I think not only – I think not only maybe the Buford curse really wasn't a thing, but it's going to be a Buford streak in about another minute because you'd have K.J. Bolden. I still think Jaden Perlotti might stick in the 2025 class. I feel strongly that Georgia will sign a 2026 Buford guy as well. Now, all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden you've got Georgia pulling players out of Buford when Alabama had pulled like four in the last three years out of Buford. The other thing in that story is really cool is I asked Buford head coach Brian Appling. I was like, hey, man, what's the deal here? What do you think about that? And he was like, hold on. He says, everybody asked me this question. He's like, I'm going to answer this question for you. And you guys will get to read about that on dognation.com. What the Buford high coach thinks about the so-called Buford coach. And I'll also say this, we can wrap up uh, with you after this, is that uh, one of the things the KJ Boulder and Relay in the video that folks saw at dognation.com last week was that the message from Kirby Smart to him was, I can't let a player like you leave this day. And the insinuation perhaps being that too many players of Bolden's caliber had left in state to go elsewhere in recent years, which is probably true. And if what Kirby said to KJ was true, I hope it is true. I mean, I hope that is Kirby's recruiting pitch to these guys. You know how important I believe in-state recruiting is going to be for Georgia in 2025? Kirby was pretty candid about his desire to get as many good players from Georgia as they can possibly get while also keeping eyes towards the best in the nation there as well. But if what KJ said really is the way that it went down and Kirby said, hey, i got to have a guy like you from this state at the state school, can't have you leave and go elsewhere – I hope that is the recruiting pitch, and I hope that becomes a very formidable part of Georgia's recruiting pitch going forward because when you got – I mean, to me, K.J. Bolden was among the two or three most dynamic players in the entire state this year. I believe he was the best player on the Buford roster. Um, making that pitch of a guy like you has got to stay at home, I like that pitch for Bolden. First of all, I think it was exaggerated a little bit. Not exaggerated, but it was kind of magnified by losing Caleb Downs the year before. Number one safety in the country. He was so special at Alabama. We knew he would be. And can Georgia lose the number one safety as well? Like in the news business, guys, we always we always have to have stories prepared. We call them pre-writes. And no matter what KJ Bolden did on National Signing Day, even though when you heard rumblings about two or three days before that somehow the thing had shifted back to the dogs, he stood. He was in the process of becoming the recruit that I feel confident saying that Georgia had invested the most time in, whether it's Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, personal attention almost 20 visits to Georgia, and for him to say no to that and to say say no to that when Georgia was at the top of the mountain. I mean, the top of the mountain. And for me, that would have been like, wow, Georgia, you know, we're all of its might, the zenith of its powers right now, could bring in a K.J. Bolden. That would have been a swing and a miss, a huge swing and a miss. But I, when I talked to his father, when I talked to his mother after that decision, his dad was always the Georgia guy in the background saying, I'm not going to force you. You're going to make your own decision. But he always saying, you know what? Georgia is the safest move for you. It's what they do, defensive background, winning. And I think a lot of the, the other stuff like Florida State uncertainty in the ACC or Florida State wins all their games and can't get in the playoffs, I think those were contributing factors. I think listening to Fran Brown tell him about, hey, you need to go to Georgia when he went up to official visit to Syracuse, I think that helped. But at the end of the End of the end of the day, one of the another thing KJ told me is he looked at Malachi Starks, kind of similar body, similar player. He's going to be a free safety. He's not going to be a thumper like Javon Bullard. I know some people look at KJ and wonder how physical he will be at Georgia, but a guy that will do Malachi Starks things has a Malachi Starks example in front of him. I think that was another big thing for Georgia. Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for being here. We'll look forward to seeing you a lot throughout the weekend, including a part of our game day coverage there tomorrow. And of course, you can follow Jeff at DogNation.com. Uh, for all kinds of great stories, including a follow-up there on Georgia, maybe perhaps once and for all, breaking the so-called Buford curse with the recruitment of K.J. Bolden. Certainly enjoyed all of that, and I'll also invite you to check out Jeff's story at dognation.com, looking at all those early enrollees who are here in South Florida going through these practices and helping giving Georgia a good look at you know a competitive environment 
you know, Kirby Smart's been very open and honest about not really knowing what to expect from Florida State here. So, therefore, trying to be as competitive during practice as possible and as focused on fundamentals as possible so Georgia can be as ready to play football, even if they're not quite as sure about what the uh, football that awaits them on the other side coming from the Florida State Seminoles. And with that, we'll transition here into cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And nice, sunshiny weather down here in South Florida gets me excited about a chance to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here coming up very soon. As many of you know, just down the road here is the Port of Miami. I get a chance in January. That's only a couple of weeks away from me now to be on Icon of the Seas, largest cruise ship ever constructed, getting ready to set sail. I did find out I am not going to be the first person to be on the ship. There's actually a little bit of a sailing prior to me getting a chance to be on, but I'm going to be among the first. So I'm very excited about that, and primarily just for the chance to come back and tell all of you how great it is, and then encourage you to check out our friend Jessica Slater, terrific travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean for all of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. And, by the way, it is go time, show time, for the Dog Nation cruise there as well. April, on board uh, Allure of the Seas, leaving out of Port Canaveral, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, bigger and better than ever before because it's on an Oasis-class ship. It is time to get serious about that, and it's time to get you on board and ready to go. Hundreds of you have already signed up, but your chance to do that there as well. So please make sure you check out that. Jessica Slater's put a great website together for you. It's royaldogs.com. And you can find out more about that. All right, let's roll through some of the SEC bowl acts we're about to see. And we're kind of getting to that point now where we've sort of like stomped our way through the slop. And now we're getting to bowl games that I think are a lot more compelling, a lot more interesting. Today, you've got the Gator Bowl between Clemson and Kentucky. I've told you before, I think this is kind of a sneaky good game. I think for a program like Kentucky, beating a team like Clemson sort of still stands and counts for a marquee win. On the other side of that, Dabo Swinney always seems to have a little extra motivational, extra energy when it comes to competing against an SEC team. I think Kentucky-Clemson secretly could be a pretty good game here. Obviously, Mark Stoops with a bunch of transfers coming in next year. A couple of names, obviously, from Georgia. They're looking at a 2024. I think Kentucky-Clemson could be sneaky good. I definitely feel that way about tonight's game between Missouri and Ohio State, where some of the mystery and intrigue, unless, unless this has come out in the last 12 hours and I'm aware of, still kind of waiting to find out about Marvin Harrison Jr.'s status, I believe. Y'all tell me if I'm wrong on that. For that game, uh, obviously, you know, between in the Cotton Bowl between Missouri and Ohio State, and from Missouri, who very quietly in what we kind of think of as the first phase of the offseason, I know we're kind of coming to the end of the bowl season, but kind of the first phase of the offseason, you know, very quietly, Missouri's already kind of gotten off to a nice start here. You know, putting a punctuation mark on what's been a tremendous season for Eli Drinkwitz. When you think about SEC teams kind of on the rise, right now Missouri sort of feels like one of those. And clearly, as a relatively small underdog against Ohio State, they would have a chance to further that story even more. Uh, and, you know, listen, it would not surprise me at all if Missouri goes out and wins this game. I think Ohio State, I think it's a little bit difficult to tell kind of where they are right now. Uh, when Kyle McCord left the program, I think a lot of folks thought they'd be a major player for one of the big-time transfer quarterbacks. Up to this point in time, that is not really what they have done. It seems like the guy that we'll see play quarterback for them tonight, Devin Brown, maybe that's the guy they have you know, kind of circled as their quarterback for 2024. If so, that's a little bit of a tough sell, I would think, although Ohio State fans seem to be buying in a bit. You know, Brown's a guy that got beat out by McCord. So the notion that the real quarterback was waiting on the bench the entire time, I'm not really quite so sure how logically true that could possibly be, but that's perhaps what Ohio State wants to sell. 
and we'll see what Devin Brown looks like later on this evening. Taking on Missouri should be a fun game. And then kind of keeping the theme going of SEC versus Big Ten battles, Peach Bowl tomorrow, early start for Ole Miss and Penn State. You know, two very similar teams in their respective leagues from the standpoint that Ole Miss beat everybody but the best teams they played. Uh, Penn State has kind of done that for years and years. They sort of beat everybody but the really good teams. So I think both these teams would kind of certainly like to benefit from this marquee win. Now, Ole Miss could lose this game by 35, 40 points, and that's not going to stop their offseason momentum because of how aggressive they've already been in the transfer portal with rumors perhaps they could be a factor for Evan Stewart there as well. They may not be done, in other words, in terms of bringing in big-time transfer talent. So I don't know that Ole Miss needs this win on Saturday. Or I should say, you know, it is Saturday. I don't know how Ole Miss needs this one. It's hard to know what day it is, y'all. I don't know how much Ole Miss needs this one on Saturday as much as Penn State probably does. Uh, for Penn State, then this may be the kind of game they desperately need to make their fans feel a bit better about that situation there, but should be fun nonetheless. And, of course, later on today on the Dog Nation video channels, we're going to have Go With The Flow presented by R.S. Andrews as we kind of roll through all of our official picks, the best we're able to make them given the uncertain status for a lot of these games. We'll do that here on the Dog Nation video channels here a little bit later on today. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And before we wrap up today in our final Dog Nation daily broadcast live from Miami, let me give a couple shout-outs here as well to our friends at the J. Stein Law Firm. Looking forward tomorrow to getting back to regular game day coverage. That means a player of the game brought to you on our Dog Nation postgame show by our friends at the J. Stein Law Firm. And I've loved telling the story of the J. Stein Law Firm throughout the season here around Dog Nation because I truly believe that when you've been hurt or injured in an accident, you don't want to do battle against some insurance company on your own. You want to have somebody that's there to help you and go through that. And you want to have somebody that's going to give you the personal service and the attention that you deserve. That's what the J. Stein Law Firm is all about. You're talking about a guy, Josh Stein, who's a two-time graduate of the University of Georgia. We call those double dogs, including the UJ Law School. He loves dog fans. He loves helping dog fans in a time of need. And he uses sort of a boutique-style level of service to give you personal attention and really help you get the compensation you deserve if you or someone you love has been hurt or injured in an accident. So check him out online. It's jsteinlawfirm.com. Stein spelled out S-T-E-I-N, jsteinlawfirm.com for more on that. Also, don't forget, some really fun things happening with our friends in Cartersville, Georgia, as the new year begins. Uh, when we talk about you know great restaurants or fun events and special attractions, so much more. You can plan a winter break getaway or a fun weekend by checking out visitcartersvillega.org. That's visitcartersvillega.org. All right, we're going to wrap up here. First of all, the Golden Shoe, back-to-back days winning for our buddy Mad Dog, who took something that I had kind of talked about on social media a little bit, the picture coming from Disneyland of Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban and Mickey Mouse all standing there together. And what I had said on social media was, to me, it looks like that Nick Saban and Mickey Mouse are essentially the same high. I had a bunch of Alabama fans jumping in my mentions, basically trying to argue that Nick Saban was taller than Mickey Mouse. My thought is, if I've got Bama fans arguing about who's taller between Saban and Mickey Mouse, I feel like I'm doing something right. So obviously you see Mad Dog there having some fun with that there as well. And so with that, we will give Mad Dog a well-earned golden shoe, as we like to do. Also, our Gator Hater Updater, that number continues to climb. You see it on the screen there. Long time since those lousy, stinking Gators have been the Georgia Bulldogs. We love that. We love all of you there as well. We'll see you tomorrow for game day and then back on New Year's Day, uh, back at home again, hopefully talking about a win for Georgia against Florida State. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We'll look forward to talking to you then again soon. Have a great weekend, everybody.